You're listening to the Saturday Morning D&D Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle. And I'm joined this week by a very special co-host, Sir Lucian from Sir Lucian Gaming. Sir Lucian, how are you? I want to talk really loud, but they're probably adjusting their volume to try to figure out what it's you're really, doing. And then really if I nice came in really bombastic, <laughs> they'd be like, no. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome. Super excited to have you here on this fine Saturday morning. Welcome. Let's April. get some more energy going on here. Heck yeah. Come on. Talking about games, drinking coffee, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. Mass it's hysteria. all over the place. What are we doing? Favorite um, Ghostbusters line ever. Yeah. That that movie's just quotable. We were just talking about Ghostbusters <laughs> before the show started, but it's mm-hmm. but unrelated. I say that line a lot because it's really good. Yeah, it's a movie I can watch and probably mumble every single line through the whole thing because I've seen it so many times. I love it. So uh, we we talk. This is unrelated, but uh, unrelated. As far as Ghostbusters, <laughs> I love the first one. Yeah. Um, and I, it's because I saw the first one first, and it's just a great movie, and it's it's Ghostbusters. Uh, my wife saw Ghostbusters 2 first. Oh. And so when she has, like, nostalgia memories, it's always Ghostbuster 2. And she's just like, well, Ghostbuster 1 doesn't have baby Oscar. Like, that's, that like, the best true. part where he's just <laughs> like, can you put the baby down? And he goes to her and goes, you're, you're, you're too short. Your belly button sticks out and your terrible burden on your poor mother. Like sure. those are those are quality jokes. And I was like, Classic. no, it's not a bad movie. It's just funny nope. that like she always thinks of Vigo, the Carpathian. Vigo. And I always think of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yeah. It's quality. That is true. Both are really good though, actually. No, they I, are. I don't even know if I could pick between the two. I love them so much. Yeah. Uh super fun. And um I'm surprised there's not a Ghostbusters uh RPG now. There should, there probably will be in the next. Used to like, be video years. games. Remember, I think Nintendo had a Ghostbusters game. Couple yeah. of them. One or they two. made a they made a Ghostbusters PC game that I played through. Oh. And uh, I think it used the voices of all the actors. Um, this is before Hell Hell Ramis died, and it's pretty good. It's super funny. Uh, you play the new recruit that gets hired, and then you're sure. just like following them around. It's very story based, so it was uh, it was pretty good. Um, very cool. Welcome to our Ghostbusters television podcast. podcast. We talk about television Ghostbusters podcast? every Saturday. Every Saturday, <laughs> talk about Ghostbusters. Um, now we're going to talk about RPGs, role playing games, specifically D anD D. But uh, this week we're going to talk a little bit about world building, um, and some and, other non D anD D games, and, so and a lot your... of non D anD D games because I don't get think ready. either of us played Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> this week, or did you? Oh, I did. Oh, you did. Good. I did. Um, I wanted to touch briefly that I'm always amazed on uh, how people can get so creative rolling dice. Cause at the, we have all of these different games and all of these different rule sets and da da da. But at the end of the day, you're literally rolling, you know, a set of dice to see if you got a number. And if you did, the thing happened. And if you didn't, something else happened. Uh, and case in point, Lex and I were filming some more game reviews for the Jocular Junction channel. And we came across this game called Durf, and it's D-U-R-F, and it's on itch.io. Um, I believe I put a link right before we started, so if you hit refresh, it might be in the uh, the show notes down below. Um, but it's only like eight pages. Um, That's but good it had again, and, and I'll we'll be doing like a full review with Lex later, or I'll be doing a full review with Lex later. But uh, mm-hmm. it's recorded; I just haven't edited it. There. Uh, there's a really cool, interesting mechanic where you have a set amount of HP. So instead of HP being something that grows with level, your way to negate hit points kind of grow with level. And it made me think a lot of Invisible Sun, which is we uh, tried that out for the first time on Wednesday, where Invisible Sun, when you take three damage, that turns into a wound. And when you take three wounds, that turns into you're dead. Hmm. And you don't get more hit points later on. That is that is set for all 10 levels or 12 levels of your character. 
But what you get is ways to negate that because you're actually getting better at stuff. So hypothetically, a level one character and a level 10 character could still, putting it in D&D terms, get like a fire breath to the face and be insta-killed. It's just at higher levels, you're more experienced to negate damage and swirl the fire around you to protect yourself and, you know, things like that. And it's a system that I really like because it doesn't, or that idea, because you think about it like we're not gaining hit points except maybe from ages baby to 18. So, <laughs> right. I don't know. But I wanted to uh, hear your thoughts, I guess. Like, do you like the hit point mechanic? Mm, that's it's a something great question. that it's so we ingrained must. in us, isn't it? We like, must like it because it's in nearly every video game I know. we play. And it's the only way for them to balance insta-death character, right? Because pretty much any one of us that gets hit by somebody swinging a sword is not going to have a good day. Yeah. One hit. Yeah. <laughs> so if we're going to play a game, we have to come up with some way to make that a little bit more interesting and not get killed. Um, that's very interesting. Um, well, starting off the show, we didn't have a lot of news either. So this is why we're going to have lots of topics today. So these will be good. I like when you describe Durf to me. I like the idea of games that are lethal, even from one all the way up to their highest level. Yeah. But there's still that chance that the dice gods could turn and you're snuffed out due to exploding dice or some type of mechanic like that gives falling you falling in wounds. lava. Like we always, then, that's yeah. the one that I always think of for D and D because you're like, well, I fell in lava, but I have. Uh, I have 152 hit points because I'm level seven or something. And you're like, yeah, yeah but it's lava. Like, <laughs> like doesn't matter if you're like, can you magically yeah. protect yourself again? You know? So. Yeah. But then I guess in my mind, it's all about hit points aren't necessarily to me, scratches and broken bones on a character. And I've, I think I used to think that, and I switched my perception to being hit points are all about all the things that come together that help you negate or get out of the way of damage. Even when you get hit, a slight dodge to the left made a lethal hit because you didn't dodge when you were level one, but now you're level four and you're better at doing that. Even though there's nothing in the mechanics that said you did that, in my mind, you've shifted just enough out of the way it was only a cut versus it was you know, your arm fell right. off if you'd gotten and hit. a level so one character. It has be to be able a little bit more that. abstract. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other reason I had to do that with D and D is because you can gain them back so quickly, right? Not only can you have 170 points, jump in the lava, roll the damage, jump out of the lava, run around. You can take a 10 minute rest, use up a bunch of hit dice and you're back to full as if nothing happened. So right. there's this, there is this disconnect if we try to attach that to what would happen for real people. But then again, I think, you know what? I'm not my character either. I don't have an 18 <laughs> dexterity. I don't have a 20 constitution. Lucian might have a five constitution. Who knows? We don't even know what the average, I mean, maybe we're eights. Have we ever <laughs> decided what normal people are in a D and D world? Would we, would, would Jordan in a D and D world, what would he be? He'd definitely be a commoner. And what would his stats be? Would they all be eights? Would they all, would they be Man, tens? Am, would they be okay? Where I'm hurt. Or would they now. be? We don't need to just <laughs> we don't need to just criticize the way I look. Okay. <laughs> and I would be worse. My, look at my health. I'd be even lower. No, I. So, that's a good way to putting it, though, because you you can heal it. I guess we have words like cure wounds that makes you yeah. think that you're actually healing a wound, and I I feel like it's portrayed in that um, from a binary computer game kind of logic, which I know a lot of that logic for RPGs and computer games came from early Dungeons and Dragons. Um, yeah. It's a very like numerical way of just saying this guy will last longer than this guy. This bunny rabbit yeah. will die in one hit and this, you know, giant sloth will die in 15 hits or something. Yeah. Uh, so I get it that it's simple, but yeah, I want to change my mindset. And and when yeah. the wording of Dungeons and Dragons says cure light wounds or heal wounds mm -hmm. or uh, it's hard healing you word, you're not like like I would yeah. love like let me reinvigorate you and then oh okay I've got forty more hit points now. Um, but we kind of treat that reinvigoration as temporary hit points, you know, like you're mm -hmm. you're over and above what you could possibly be. You're like energized. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I've and been I playing around with points. this idea of hit points since reading Durf, and then we played yeah. Invisible Sun, and I was like, I want to rethink that because I really mm -hmm. like that idea. And I think hit points can be codified differently depending on what game you're playing. Maybe in an OSR game, it makes more sense that a stab of a sword that's seven hit points is a very deadly thing. And that really is the the representation of somebody stabbing a sword through your chest, right? Versus DD5E now isn't really that. So maybe hit points are more about your ability to continue fighting before you just drop to the ground and you're unconscious and out, right? You just it doesn't necessarily mean a sword went through your chest. It just means that you're slowly getting worn down. And there's a point when you hit zero that you're done. You're, you're just fall over. Your body can no longer react. Your body can no longer dodge. You can no longer, nothing lucky can no longer happen. You're out. You're, you know, that's where your death is. And then your blood bleeds out unless somebody helps you. you so how out, do you treat uh, a severed arm, a broken right. leg? But we don't do that unless, because there's no rule that says your arm was severed, unless I guess you get to like a Vorpal weapon, maybe. Yeah. Right, where you say you can take a limb off. Well, and so that's, I guess that's my bigger question. Do yeah. you have those rules for yourself in d and I can't think of a specific 5e mechanic, but I know. There's a weapon that does it. Yeah, the Vorpal weapon will slice yeah. off stuff. But I, I know that Indoor Adventurer ran that Curse of Strahd game. And mm. the Paladin lost an arm in that game. Sure. Um, and Eberron has a lot of mechanics of like, oh, you lost an arm and we'll we'll create, create this facsimile arm for you. And so you have like a robotic mm. arm to kind of help you. But later. if you lose that arm, do you take 50 points off your hit point total? Do you take 60 points? Do you take 10 points off? Like you don't, your total doesn't go down. Well, not, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I don't think there's thing. rules for it. Yeah, but, I like, think it's I'm, just a thematic would you want to add something like that though yeah. where it's like oh your your leg is broken or it healed wrong you now have a minus 10 to your speed i don't know yeah i think there are some games that do that and i think they would be interesting for the right players and the right group um i think maybe warhammer comes to mind where when you start to take those type of you lose limbs yeah. it affects stats yeah. it affects movement it Savage affects Worlds things deadlands does that then i think but I think you want to, you know, you go into that game wanting to play that type of game and then you then you run with it. I don't think anybody goes to D&D &D where, all right, if you lose your arm, let's take off 50 hit points. Or let's say you get one attack now per round. You used to have three attacks per round because you were a fighter and you were seventh level, but mm -hmm. you lost your arm. So now you're down to one attack, you know, or something, you know, weird like that. So yeah. I don't yeah, know if anybody Steve wants Steve has that. a good point in chat. He says that uh, zero hit points is more about like when you're at zero hit points, that's when an attack can connect. So that's when the sword does go through your chest. I you do. Know? I've started to lean a little that way too. I mean, I like the idea that you're taking wounds, you're taking scratches or cuts, but they're, they're maybe trivial, but I do like, I kind of like where he's going with that. That's a good, that's a good point. I like that. So there you, go. you have to abstract it a little bit, but I like what you're saying. Just go back to your original point, small games, eight page derf yeah can give you a set of rules that make you rethink or want to experiment with even the games you're familiar with over four or five or six years you've been playing 10 years and you're just like oh that's kind of a cool thing how do how would that affect if i kind of slid that one little piece over yeah. here what would that how would that change things yeah. you know and i do like that um another one that there was a, a breakers game that the guy who invented, um, I'm forgetting his name, but he did Blades in the Dark. So people in chat will probably know who that author is. Um, I'm forgetting his name at the moment. But he created a two, he, every now and then, I think once a year, they do two-page RPGs challenge yeah. or something. And they just create a two-pager. And those can be fun. And he did one that was called Breakers. That was really fun and engaging. I, I was shocked at how fun of a game you could make with just two pages. Yeah. You were limited to two pages of rules and, and go. John you know, Harper. Like, is who you're John about. Harper. Thank you. Uh, he also did a game <laughs> called uh, Dungeon World or World of Dungeons or something. Nope. Um, that's Adam Cobble did Dungeon World. Okay. Adam Cobble did Dungeon World. Then he did World of Dungeons. And it's specifically oh, a, it's another two page RPG. That could um, be true. And because uh, Lex and I reviewed it. And uh, that was another thing where, yeah, if you give them the right 
right? Yeah, John Harper's great about those small condensed rules and playing around. And he's a graphic artist. So he kind of puts them together in ways that are really evocative when you mm. look at the two pages too. So it's really nice. Um, I bet Lex looks at his stuff quite a bit. I, yeah. Um, there were a couple things that came down my news thing. I didn't actually have this in our notes. I'm sorry. Cause I just <gasps> thought of it while we were talking. I'm not talking about it. Um, but uh, for those of you who are kingdom and warfare backers of MCDM, uh, there was an email last night, I think uh, 18 oh, hours I ago. I've seen this. Um, Check my email. That said, Hey, as an apology for the book being delayed, uh, one of our really cool playtesters expanded upon Kingdoms and Warfare, and we decided to like they bought it from him because they're like, "This is great. We're gonna we're gonna buy it and sell it." And, and they're good about paying. Um, yeah. And they uh, gave it away for free as kind of like a, "Hey, we're sorry. Uh, cool. Here, take it." So I just remember that, and I went and downloaded it. Um, so check your email. Um, but it looks Matt, like Matt it's uh, is my favorite. It's just dude. kind of an expansion on kingdoms and warfare in some sense but i haven't had a good time to go through it very cool and then there was <gasps> a, a big release from big what is the name elder elderbrin is the name of this this company i think uh, um i gotta bring it up though you guys not in the notes like, it's taken so long and the the reason I bring this up is it's a 900 and plus page PDF that Tolus size released. It's so big. <laughs> Tolus, so now you're talking. And We're going the other that route. Is the adventure, and then there's like a 50 page like player immersion thing that's got all these new subclasses and stuff. Uh, for what system? For 5e. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. We're going to talk about 5e. It's crazy. Um, I just have to find it. Yeah, send me that. I'm always interested in somebody that's willing to put together 900 pages of content. <laughs> ridiculous. So I, I had to download the low-res version because I tried I the high-res, and it was like, this is not happening. This ain't going to happen. 917. So it's called From Ooh. Elder Brain, and it's Crown of the Oathbreaker. Um, and it looks Sounds pretty cool. cool. But yeah, they have a six-chapter adventure, Crown of the Oathbreaker. Um, and I don't know if it's like an evil campaign. I'm not really sure, but like it's so detailed. And this will actually go into talking about world building here in a second. Um, the, the world is huge. And this is a 900-page PDF that you're uh, – and not a book, but like a PDF that you're expected to read kind of like Tolis – uh, and Tolis is, is there another for great example. When you uh, need it. Do you think you need to read it or do you think you can just reference it? They've got it ready for when you That's get a good there. question. I have no idea. Okay. Um, and then there's this 53 page of playing a character in this world. Yeah. If I read um, 900, the players need to read 50. And it has <laughs> uh, three different subclasses for every class except Artificer. Okay. Um, like 12 feats. A whole bunch of new spells, uh, kind of cool. One and of you these bought this, or they're just throwing it out there. Uh, it is for purchase. The company sent it to me because they want me to review it, so I got it for free. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> and so, uh, and they're not sponsored or anything. I just wanted to talk about it because I was like, okay, yeah, lo lots of people send me PDFs because that's an easy way of like, hey, free advertising. And I'm like, uh, maybe. Well, um, hey, they've already gotten a little bit of free advertising this morning. That's true. That. Uh, but there's an ooze domain for cleric that I'm. We talk about favorite monsters. I love oozes. I think that's really okay. cool. So could be Let's fun. Let's do this. Uh, our barbarian spell eater, um, a spell thief for rogue, a lycanthropic bloodline for sorcerer. Um, oh, I like that. Way of the nine seals for monk. That's kind of fun. Uh, and. What's another? Oh, I like this one too. School of Shadow. Now I'm going off of just the, for wizards. Sorry, School of yeah, Shadow. Just the names. Just the, the names. names are cool. <laughs> they could be terrible mechanics. I have no idea. Yeah, who knows? They could um, be great and awesome mechanics. Elder Brain. Elder. Send Solution a PDF. He would love to see this. Yeah. Too. <laughs> uh, I have no idea how expensive it is, but um, <laughs> Cleric of Jewiblix. Yes, that's exactly right. I did not well, sign an NDA. <laughs> and I always buy. If I like something, even that was sent to me, I typically go and buy it anyways because I want the the creators to get you know 
their due diligence for you know their yeah. their well if i was going to use this um yeah. i probably well i would like a hard copy because i like reading hard copies oh my God, and i'm a collector of rpgs a 900 page hard copy book of that they gotta Ooh. break it up it can't it can't you can't tolis it maybe you can maybe you can so speaking of tolis and speaking of a lot of that other stuff i have been reading um knock which is a magazine uh zine Doesn't magazine look like a magazine um, it's kind of, it's kind of, yeah, it's got a desk cover. It's like, I don't know, but this is it. Knock. This is issue one. I actually am reading issue two as I finish cool this art. one. Um, and it's full of cool RPG articles and maps and other fun stuff. Uh, the reason Who I bring this up. Who puts that together? Huh? Who puts it together? Oh, the Mary Mushman. The Mary Mushman. Yeah. Yeah. It's very OSR indie kind of zine take your drink everyone uh, well that's OSR. not dcc okay now you can take a drink uh <laughs> but <laughs> that that's issue one issue two is upstairs uh which we're going to talk about an article that i read in issue two uh, a couple nights ago um issue three just finished their kickstarter and are now getting the pdf and stuff out to people um if you're interested there's links in down below to all of these uh the physical copy might be a little difficult to get but the PDF is always available on drive-through or something like that. And um, it's specifically not... they're in Europe. So getting okay. it over to America takes a little bit. So it's just knock, but then it's like, here's the first. Each one's called knock, but then it's like knock one, knock two. Knock, knock two, is the knock... title oh, of okay. the magazine. Yeah. That's the title. Of the magazine. And then what, it, what the magazine actually is, is it a monthly? Is, uh, no, 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 no. They do a Kickstarter and they a put yearly? this together. So they've only done three. So maybe, okay. maybe a year, maybe every six months. But it's a collection of articles. A lot of these OSR articles and blog posts and stuff are floating around the web. And these guys mm -hmm. were like, hey, we want to like congeal these into something that's useful. Rather than like, I'm scouring the internet for useful information. So you'll find maps in here. You'll find little adventures. You'll find articles on like, how do you handle like death in an RPG or something like, I don't know. I'm trying to, I should just read off some of the titles here, but uh, it's designed by the same people that made, um, what is that? Uh, Morkborg, I think. Oh, so it's got I the same, it's got the same like crazy yeah. layouts and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So it's visually very interesting. Um, here are some articles. Uh, what I want in an OSR game, a comparison of old D and D and new D and D monster design, uh what's the deal with igor's hump uh <laughs> monster derangement syndrome eight variants of the cave of chaos so like yeah it's just they're just really cool articles really fun art and things like that and it must be lots of artists they're pulling together from the osr community Correct. and then they and contribute a lot of public domain a magazine, I think, as like well, a zine yeah. style publication yeah. thing okay and then cool. um yeah it's it's basically a big zine zine yeah yeah, yeah. uh and they do a kickstarter so uh, they're paying all of their artists and stuff. Really cool stuff. Um, but so long winded way of saying, I read this really cool article in knock <laughs> issue number two called world building. When is enough too much? And uh, I think our listeners and you obviously know that I love world building and I love fantasy worlds. So and this it was, was shot right at you. You're yeah, like, oh, it was, oh. <laughs> it was interesting reading this because it's been, Two years, I think, since I did my 30-day world-building challenge. Which was cool. Which I had cool. a lot we'll of fun. see it again. A lot of fun. On the channel. Um, and I, well, the, the long story short is they're saying that most people don't want that. Like, you, you spend all this time creating a world, and you sit at night, and you fret, like, well... The people from the north, I don't really know if they would even try to invade the Southlands. Like, what do they gain from that, you know? And you're overthinking it as a world creator when your players are like, I just want to throw my sword at somebody. Can, like, do, oh, that's the bad guy? Point me in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, and they use the example of the Lord of the Rings novels, where a lot of people have read Lord of the Rings, but, like, they also haven't read. The, that uh, there's a smaller minority of people that have read the Silmarillion and enjoy those. Uh, I am one of those people that really enjoy the Silmarillion because I love the lore and I love like, where did all these people come from and how does it all tie together? Yeah, the uh, history. But Lord of the Rings objectively is the story of Frodo 
taking the one ring and destroying it. And that is interesting. The story is interesting. Not this like hypothetical world. Um, and they use an example of Dear DM, if you would roll your eyes at a player giving you a five-page character backstory that they want you to read, don't expect them to read your world primer as you're like, here. Um, so <laughs> I feel like I was put on blast, and I'm like, okay, that's that's interesting. I feel like I need to, to argue this. I feel like I need to... And I, I want to, I want your take, I guess, because yeah. like, I love, I love the, I have a whole YouTube channel dedicated to RPG or D and D history, like fictional history. Mm -hmm. um, I love knowing things about the world and then playing in that world. Also knowing those things. Uh, but as a player, I never, or as a DM, I never expect my players to have that same level of interest. Uh, and it's actually better if they don't, because then they can be surprised by things. This is a reason that Nathan, DM Nathan, has specifically said, I'll never run the Forgotten Realms for Jordan. Even though he is a fan of the realms and, and knows a lot about the realms, he doesn't want to be in a situation where I'm like, uh, um, actually, or where I do just know that he did something that's counterintuitive to what I know about the realms. Um, I'm going to say right now, DM Nathan, I've ran Jordan through Forgotten Realms adventures <laughs> and... Don't worry about it. <laughs> he doesn't remember that much. <laughs> um, so it's it's weird and interesting. I don't know. I was I just thought this was a cool article about uh, how do you feel about world building and is it important to you or is it more of an adventure? Uh, and I'll let you talk and then I have other points. But <laughs> yeah, I think the first read through um, for me there was a couple things that 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 writer pointed out i don't know if it was he or him uh he she him i didn't see who the name Jack. was so whoever Jack they she. were they were um i did like that in the article they did say in a line now my opinion may be skewed because during the google plus days i was only really interested in the osr kind of scene and i do feel like the osr scene is less about world building and more about the here and the now, the funnels, the gameplay as it is at the moment, the short adventures, the that kind of style of game. Almost original D&D &D when it was about dungeon diving and it wasn't about a world had been built yet, right? When yeah. you, If you ever talk about how the originals kind of started. It wasn't about creating a narrative. Each DM either. had their own was, dungeon and they ran people yeah. through dungeons, it was, right? Hey, so it's that's a how dungeon. it starts. Let's go, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually people want to build worlds and, and and do worlds. So then I'm like, okay, so that's a good caveat because you always want to point out that I might be I might be blind to other parts of what was going on. And that's why I think there weren't a lot of people that like world building. And then he used that example, like you said, Lord of the Rings. And I kind of thought hard on that one because it seems to me like I, I don't know. I was trying to think of another franchise that was the same but would prove the opposite right like the the game of thrones you know there were tons and tons of people that were looking up the history of game of thrones stuff looking at the stuff they're excited about the prequel that's going to come up they're excited about the how the like all the after show stuff was highly kind of watched now it probably wasn't on the same percentage of the people that watch the show versus the people that go look for extra information so there's definitely that difference between you know 50 billion people watch the show and maybe 1 billion go and look up more info and so i think i think we're in that group that's smaller that like to dive deeper into something we enjoy but there are other people that like to just enjoy the thing and then move on. And I, right? so, I, I like to call that secret knowledge. And I see it a lot yeah. when I watch Marvel movies with my friends yeah. where I, I don't know anything about Moon Knight. Uh, yeah. I really enjoy Marvel, obviously, but I'm watching Moon Knight and I'm like, oh, this is a fun, enjoyable thing. And then I have friends mm -hmm. who are like, oh, but you didn't like that character. He's actually this. And when he's talking to that person, like, oh, my yeah. God, you don't even know. And yeah. they know because they have all of this, quote, secret knowledge. And it's kind of the same thing mm -hmm. where you watch The Hobbit and you're like, oh, they have the Arkenstone. And story. there's people that are like, oh, my God, the Arkenstone. Like, you don't even mm -hmm. know. And like, yeah, you know, so I I don't know if that's something there, but like. 
it was interesting. This article is basically saying don't not Overdo don't it. not telling you, but like leaning yeah. towards there's there's not a market for writing textbook uh histories of your fictional world because nobody cares. And something that I wanted to touch on was uh don't it says don't give me homework and that if I'm buying a setting like the Forgotten Realms, I should be able to sit down at the table and run it with casual references to it as opposed to having to study it the night before so that I can run it the next day. <laughs> and that got me thinking about uh, Invisible Sun and all this other mm -hmm. stuff. Like it's such a, a crazy world that you guys are running around in. And I find it so interesting because I've spent the last like year casually reading through it off and on again, absorbing all this material. Um, and I feel like your my players like Lucian here and, and indoor and LB and Lex, they were my players that you guys wouldn't enjoy it as much because you don't have that foundation that I have. And when we played on Wednesday, I said, I feel like this is a game for dungeon masters to play with other dungeon masters <laughs> because dungeon masters understand, Oh, like there's a bigger thing and things like that. So uh, that's my caveat segue into how do you, how do you feel about, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yes. But here's my counterpoint to the argument. Counter. So that was me kind of agreeing a little bit with what they are. And if you read the article, a, a summation of it would be, don't overdo your world building because your players are more concerned about the present, what yeah. their characters are in, versus if you write what happened 20 years ago, and that is not relevant to anything the players are going to fall into, right? So it's like, nobody wants that. Nobody they don't cares need to know that the third the king of was, the second age yeah, was named They don't this. care about that. Yeah. Even though you're really into it, they care about, you know, what's the name of the tavern that they're starting at and what's the adventure they're going to type of thing. So I understood where they were going. And he also said, though, you, you there's a pendulum, though, that you can do too little also. Yeah. So there is a too much and there is a too little. And then I thought that's what triggered my counterpoint to his argument. And I think the 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 actual Lucian's opinion um, reason for that is we are getting world building, fantasy world building from pop culture and books we read and movie shows we talk about and and, and watch and TV shows that we get so much of that world building. We don't necessarily need it when the DM's going to start the new campaign. And he says, hey, we're in a fantasy dark world. Okay, well, we all have been in fantasy dark worlds. We all understand what that means. I don't need you to re-explain what dark dwarves are and elves are and, and how they were, you know, none of that matter. I get it. We're in a world with elves and dwarves and stuff. We I've watched shows. I've read books. I'm with you. So they're bored, I think, because all the world building came from all the other entertainment that they get. Mm -hmm. But now you do a campaign based on something there is no show about or there is no big thing. You Common can't just walk into that and that, say yeah. five lines and say, here, this, here, you're in this world. It has these gates. You can move around magics. Uh, there's 25 different types of magic. All right, ready to play? It doesn't work <laughs> if if there's nothing for me to ground it with and say, this is this super futuristic uh, Matrix style game. Even then I still have, oh, Matrix style. Oh, okay. I kind of get, you know. So I think with what, when we talked about Invisible Sun a little bit, it was this idea of a world we had no reference to. We had nothing to tie it to, to say, this is like that. So that did all the world building for me. And now the DM can add to the world building of that or, or change, you know, change some things to make yeah. sure we're right. Versus, hey guys, we're going to play a Mad Max style game. Mm -hmm. Ready to go? In your head, you're like, yeah, I got my mohawk. I got my, my axe made out of, uh, you know, some type of pipe and metal that I put together. And I put on some like, tire armor let's do you know you didn't have to world you didn't have to tell me okay remember in this world your armor is made of tire and recycled bits and in this world it's deserty and water is the biggest thing like you didn't have to tell me that you told me hey we're playing mad max we're ready to go so i think that's a little bit where it comes from dungeon master so this is what i would say if you're going to play a fantasy game that's very much like a forgotten realms 
you don't have to go overboard in explaining a fantasy world to your players because they're kind of already on board. My So my second counterpoint to that is, but what about Keith Baker? Mm-hmm. If he read that article, he would stop writing about Eberron. Do you want Keith Baker to stop telling us more and more and more stuff about Eberron? Heck no, there's a huge community of people that want everything Keith Baker can give us, right? Everything he puts out, we want. Just if you're if you're a big Eberron well, fan. And he's so even I wonder. Said, yeah, he said in, in interviews that uh, he's very interested in writing about, you know, subject Y from Eberron. But he has to balance that with will it sell? Are other people interested sure. enough that they're willing to buy this? And so he doesn't put effort into things unless he knows that, that people are like, I want to know about this. And yeah. it, that Exploring Eberron book he came out with had a lot of information about the planes of existence that he interpreted and also had a lot of information about undersea uh, um, races and kingdoms that mm-hmm. had never been touched in Eberron before. Uh, because that was what the most that was what people wanted from him, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. I know that he's like, I would love to write all kinds of weird little geopolitical stuff set during the war or something. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And so I think you could get a skewed sense of what you think the the tabletop community wants based on the game you're the most into. If you're an Eberron person and you've loved Eberron, you've been playing Eberron for a couple of years. That article to you, I think, would be jarring because you're like, no, I love world building. I want to know the history of of everything. I want to know whatever I can. But if you're OSR, I think that's different because there's no worlds we can think of that are OSR worlds, right? We don't think of specific campaign settings that are OSR for the most part. They're generic. They're not named. They're not... Well, there's so many... Yeah, there's so many people working in the OSR that they don't really have... Uh, a specific like it's oh, a different mentality yeah. i think yeah it's a different we're not trying to build there are though i, I want to point that out like oh, yeah, dolman sure. wood is a osr setting so there sure. are settings out there but like uh they're usually like little one-off zines like i got uh yeah. nightland was a really interesting one but it's really more of like a point adventure in this weird world of nightland as mm-hmm. opposed to a whole campaign setting yeah and there, there's probably not a lot of people that could name that, right? You might have had to have come yeah. across it versus a lot of people have heard the words Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or Dragonlance or, or Game of Thrones. Aberon at this point. Yeah. Or um, even if you go over to Paizos, I always get their, there's wrong because I pronounce it wrong, but it's like G-L-O-R Glorian or Glora something. The, the Pathfinder crowd out there in your chat will remember the name of their world. Um so you could really grab those. Or when you're talking about, look at like when you grab onto a show and you want to know everything about it and the history about it. Like if you're a Buffy you're the like, Vampire oh, it's, Slayer. It's based on a book. I better go read You want to know everything about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You want to know what came before Buffy. You want to know what comes after Buffy. You want to know how does Angel fit into this? Now what came before Angel? What came after? You know, you're like, you're ready to, you're a, you're a supernatural fan. You want to know all that kind of stuff. You're a Game of Thrones fan. You want to know all that. You're a Robert Jordan Wheel of Time fan, which is a huge spanning cycle of the wheel. There's been nine ages, you know, or Numenera that you're in the ninth Numenera world. is a big one, actually, <laughs> because that's another, yeah. I mean, Monty Cook did Numenera and uh, yes, G- Galarian, Galorian? Uh, Galorian, that's the one. Zris, our our resident uh, Pathfinder. I'm trying expert. to be more Pathfinder. I'm getting there, guys. Um, I'm getting there. Yeah, uh, but yeah, again, I I think this always comes not again, but to me, this really comes back to Monty Cook because we had a really good discussion about like uh, setting being joined with the gameplay. Yeah. And Invisible Sun does that. Numenera does that really well. And then they branch Numenera off into the Cypher system because they realized they could use it for other things. But yeah, yeah it's kind of interesting that like, to play Numenera is more than just, I like this dice mechanic. You have to also get invested in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, with Invisible Sun, it feels like it works a little bit because... Uh, the characters specifically are waking up to the fact that the world is a lot bigger place than they thought it's. And that's yeah. why we, I talk about the matrix because 
Uh, it's the idea that you wake up and you're like, oh, the world was fake. Here's the real world. But I have to learn what this real world is. And that's the same same kind of thing with Invisible Sun. So from that standpoint, it kind of works, but not with Numenera. Like you're, you've mm-hmm. been part of that world for a long time and you're trying to figure out like, what is all this stuff? But yeah. he does a good job of saying like, well, the catch-all phrase is that must be Numenera. That's either technology, yeah. magic, or yeah. science gone haywire. Who knows? So yeah. I don't know. It so was, I think that's our good, our lead into what we did this week. But yeah, I th- that's what I thought about the article. Yeah. Um, uh, again, I, I, I've been really enjoying these knock uh, magazines. I finished the first <laughs> one, lots of really cool, interesting stuff. And then uh, knock two, I'm, I'm there. I'm almost done with it. And then knock, knock three is coming two. in the mail any, any day now. Cause I kickstarted that one. Um, but just, just made me think. I really like that pay, that section of like, don't don't be frustrated if your player gets gives you a five page backstory, but they're unwilling to read your like thirty page primer on the world. And yeah. as I am trying to run a Eberron campaign, I have to remind myself that these people don't know Eberron. They're curious about it but they're not curious enough to curious. like read a whole thing about it. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you can't um, give them homework. They're, you're going to lose them. This reminds me of hot Springs Island because yeah. when I was running that, they found the in book of hot Springs Island. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a field guide to hot Springs Island, which you're allowed to give to yeah. the players. Right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, they yeah. all went home. They all had the PDF next week. They came back and Nathan said, did anybody read the book? And everyone was like, uh, I don't know. And he's I like, that's okay. Book. I read the whole thing twice because he <laughs> was so curious and interested. So but, one out of three, you had yeah. three, three players. So there's uh, a ratio. Four players. Yeah. So he, okay, one, one out, out of four. four. But Nathan is also <laughs> a dungeon master and he loves stuff like that. He loves yeah. world building. So for him, that wasn't homework. He was very excited to learn more yeah. about this crazy place. So, yeah. I think that's the true thing right there. You just said that should have been at the end of the article. One out of four people will love your world. Brother. Yeah. <laughs> the other three are going to be bored to death and probably won't like it at all, but there will be that. There, one. there is that caveat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we played a, we played invisible sun. We're going to play two sessions. We played one session and then the next yeah. one is next Wednesday. Uh, Lucian is playing a apothic, which is apostate. A, apostate. Thank you. Which is yes. a character that rejects, um, all of the magical organized yeah. magic, organized magic. Yeah. yeah, but it did say it had some church connotations uh, in there. I didn't read a lot into that yeah. part because I didn't know if there were churches or anything in there's in no there's no churches. Yet. But uh, to be a visle, which is to be part of the magical community, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times they say, "Oh, you're part of the Church of the Invisible Sun," and that's just there, kind of a catch-all for saying yeah. you're magical. That's so, what he was talking about. Yeah, gotcha. Because you're magical. Because invisible, magical. the invisible sun is magic. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Talk about mm-hmm. world building. That is a crazy world. Um, I was amazed with you guys not uh, wanting to attack anything. Because <laughs> I'm like, hey, I wanted to like try out combat, and everybody did everything possible to not attack the monster, and that yeah. was fun and interesting. Uh, but what were your thoughts? Did you? Did you, I mean, we all had fun. I feel, but yeah, um, yeah, because it's just fun to play games. But yeah. Well, I think it was nice because a lot of us went into it with different ideas. Um, I definitely went in with the idea. I just want to learn kind of how a round or a session or an instance goes and how you're going to stitch those together to be a game, right? So like if you're to do it in D&D terms, you would have your role playing would be going on. Something happens, initiative happens, you switch over to combat rounds that concludes you can maybe do some more role play maybe there's a little bit of role play going in between and then that's the game you 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 do that for a couple hours at night everybody has fun you go home and that's that's the the thing i was interested in in what invisible sun was going to do because it's not as structured as i could tell but it did have structure that i didn't realize was there and then once you started trying it you could see that it was there. And, it, and then once Numenera, cause I have played Numenera and that's the first game I, I ran as a dungeon master when I decided to be a dungeon master, it started to click even more and more for me throughout the night as we were moving. And I could tell, oh, maybe I could run Invisible Sun now because now I'm starting to understand a little bit more. Yeah, you and you were the only player that had played Numenera. I was yeah. surprised that 
uh, every all of our super RPG friends <laughs> had never played Numenera, and such I was like, game. really? I need to run Numenera for you guys. Yeah, this so. is such a fun game. Such cool mechanics. So I went into it like that. Other people went into it like, hey, Jordan's going to let me play this cool character in this cool, crazy world that he's super excited about. Okay, I'll jump in and play. I don't care. I'll roll some dice. And then other people were like, you know, into how to f- create my character. So they were yeah. like, I was, you know, spent some time building their character and wondering what it was going to be like. And, you know, and so we had a lot of different things we came into. We rushed into kind of a scene so that Jordan could kind of start showing us the rules. Yeah. And we kind of played from there. I think the big thing that we found as we played, we started out very disconnected and we started not quite knowing what's going on, what you can or can't do. What's the structure? When should I do it? When shouldn't I do it? Um, How does this thing work? So there was a lot of that in the beginning, but I think as we moved and worked through different, how do I cast a spell? Well, somebody cast one. So we figured that out. How do we do this thing? Somebody does that. So we figured that out, Um, you know, and as we began to move through those pieces, as the night went on, it was becoming easier and easier to get to the part that would just be playing the game, not so much learning how to play, playing the game. So a few sessions down the line, I could tell we would have a good understanding of the rules. We'd have an understanding of how the, the, the structure of the game works. And we could, we could really dive into a fun, interesting story that, that Jordan would craft. So I got that. Um, But it taught me a lesson about being careful to not distract if you're trying to learn a new system that you don't necessarily want to completely divorce the, well, let's don't talk about too much of the world. We're just going to jump into it. If it's a world that nobody really has any idea about, right? If it was a world we understood, I think that works. But this is when you you don't understand invisible sun right you have to you have to read a little bit about it you have to kind of get into it you have to well i was that's a good be question told what's going on do you feel like you could do you feel like you have to do homework or that if we kept playing you would get the gist of it yeah because i felt like in this one i think you did this is a you want to do a little homework because what is it what does it mean to be an apostate right? yeah I don't, I don't know what that means. I'm an, I, in fact, I'm an iconoclastic apostate who whispers to a serpent was, was my class name actually. So who and is that this does serpent? not, like, yeah. right. But if you say, Hey, we're going to play a game and uh, Jordan, you're the fighter um, and LB, you're the magic user. That help that grounds you a little bit. Cause you kind of know what a fighter is. A you kind of know what a magic also, user is yeah. and we'll move forward. I, fight. I didn't know what an apostate was. I, don't I didn't know <laughs> what what we had a weaver, an apostate. We had a goetic. A goetic, what I had never heard. I didn't know what that was. Uh, and then a what? A Vance. An advance, which I kind of know only because Vancean, yeah. as long as that is the connection. Because it if it's not, then I wouldn't know what that was, right? So this game, Invisible Sun, likes to use words your brain doesn't necessarily connect to other things you've done before or heard before or are in your normal media. So you feel like you don't know what's going on. So I think this game takes a little bit of homework to start to understand vocabulary and, and terminology and to understand what those things mean. And then when you have a little bit of that, then the game rules can come in and help you say, okay, now let's play a game that's based in that world. Yeah. So it was interesting. I think it was a great experiment of, learning how to play and it made me super interested it did not turn me off there was nothing in it that said ah okay this isn't the game for me and i bumped into some rpgs that are like that where i'll start to play and i'm like well i don't know this just doesn't feel like the rpg for me yeah i didn't get that so i didn't get that and actually uh indoor even posted like a few days later like i know we were kind of like really critical about it but i can't stop thinking about that game like i want to play it some more and i was like well it's doing its job then it's got its Um, hook in yes but i also uh i think think? a lot about i think a lot about theater especially with this game but like with rpgs in general and that as a director when you're directing a play you control all of these different elements to create how the audience should feel in a specific moment or setting um and then you trust your actors to kind of convey that 
And this felt very similar where Monty Cook has crafted a game that he really wanted to invoke a specific feeling, emotion, uh, idea. And so I think the confusion is part of what he wanted. Like, you know, and, and we could say like, well, that's a bad choice. Well, it's it's his choice to make. But I think mm-hmm. that that's what he wanted because if you feel out of place playing this, well, then your character is also out of place in this world they don't understand as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I think using words like, oh, I'm part of the order of Goetica. Like, what is that? You know, or I'm <laughs> I'm a, an apostate who has a snake person or something. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't understand. Well, either does your character. And that's why it's kind of spooky and crazy. But you will say, I will say that you said that if we had done the actual longer session zero, rather than just jumping in with pre-made characters, uh, you would have had a better understanding of the world, of your character, and and of your character's place in the world. And so this is a game that really benefits from a session zero. I think so. Uh, more because than other not, games. Like, yeah. Because you can't draw... There's no other show that you can point to and say, oh, it's like this. So that does the work for you of a session zero in a, in a way. Um, and nobody's played it before. So you can't say, you know, you know, like last yeah. campaign, but this time we're over here in this place. So there's nothing to really. That's why I don't think it you works. You need as a, a good, shot. strong session zero. For uh, this yeah. Just start. The more I, the more we're playing this, I'm like, I don't think it works as a one shot, even though that's exactly what we're doing is playing through a single little adventure to, to test it out. Yeah. But uh, you need that, you know, mm-hmm. you need a one shot sometimes to test out a system before really investing heavily into it. Yeah. <laughs> but, and there's a couple of t- uh, tabletop role-playing games out there that are built around. You have a session that builds the world you're going to play in. Yeah. And the players get to contribute to that. And to me, I forgot that this is one of those. Yep. I forgot that this is, like a mothership. I forgot that Kids this is like where we we decide what does magic look like? Yep. What kinds of magic are around? What are what are the things that make sense to us and we know is going on? And we build connections and relationships with the people we're about to play with. We build NPCs that the that the dungeon master can pull on. And we start to talk about the setting and we can move forward. So there are some games that you do, you have to do that. The yeah. game wouldn't be the same if you didn't do that piece first. So I went into this like it's Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or um, Numenera, you know, or those. And I should have went into it. It was more like a mothership or a, um, I think it's a Powered by the Apocalypse will do this. Dungeon World did this where you decide what kind of world your dungeon world is what kind are there elves are there not elves yeah. are there dwarves are there not dwarves? what let's all come up as a community with things that we are knowns let's come up with things that are kind of unknown we don't know too much about and we we go from there and explore this world there's a really really fun interesting thing there um so i forgot that when i went into this but it was fun i i mean did you are, I feel like as we talked and the messages I saw from you was that you were encouraged to continue to see more or to understand Invisible Sun. I didn't feel like what happened that night, even if it wasn't smooth or if somebody watched it and said, you guys weren't really doing anything. What, what was really going on? We didn't Barely stream, rules, so you didn't miss anything. But... Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't feel like you came out of that going, oh, okay, we gave it a shot. I'll just put this away. It'll it'll gather dust somewhere on a shelf no, down I, and I'll never I, touch it again. I have a I I'm very much want to keep playing. Um, yeah. and if it was either with you or if it was with like the group that we currently have, yeah. um, or at the table, if I could I love you guys, but I really want to play I at the wish. table I want because you at the we, table. we talked about all of the physical props and stuff that come yes. with the game and having the cards in your hand would make a lot easier. Yeah. Um but Handing books around. Yes. Like, versus oh, you need we the were flipping book, through PDFs. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but I I really like, uh, I, I think I really am just enamored with this world. It's so yeah. unique and so interesting. Oh. And so I want to keep playing in it. I want to keep telling stories in it. Bring up what you brought, because you told us after the session was over, you started talking about the way Monty Cook put this game together and did things that are different than he would have done in other games or other designers had done in games. The idea of, 
I don't really want PDFs for this. Yeah. I really, so, you know, go into that because I thought that was very telling. And have we known that walking into the session, that would have been really good knowledge. Yeah. Um, so uh, for those of you who don't know, I'll, I'll try to put a link to my unboxing of Invisible Sun. Um, it comes in this giant black cube and mm. all of the spells are not listed in the book like they are in D&D. They're all on individual spell cards. So uh, a lot of props, a lot of like handing things back and forth to people. Physical things. Um, and with that, when you have like a deck of cards, it's not really expected that your dungeon master, we'll say dungeon or game master, it's not expected that your game master is going to go through and read every single spell. It's the idea that like you kind of drop new spells here and there, maybe at random. So when Monty Cook originally was working on the Kickstarter, he did not want this to have a uh, PDFs. He didn't want it. To, and this was early. So I think like online gaming and the pandemic hit and they were like, uh, but like he originally didn't want to give out PDFs. He wanted it to be a very physical thing that you play at a table with other friends. Um, even though he has an online section of it app which is a website uh (laughs) that you can utilize to kind of communicate with your your players Mm -hmm. but the idea is that yeah he didn't want he didn't want it released as any pdfs like if you you either bought the book and had it or you don't um when their company really was one of the people that pushed forward like having pdfs like that's part of like oh you bought the game here's the pdf Mm -hmm. uh and then i think later on they were like you know monty like we can we can sell PDFs like it's fine. Right. And so they ended up selling the digital black cube for a hundred dollars, which when that was announced, everybody was like a hundred dollars for PDFs. That's outrageous. But if you price out like the player's handbook, the monster manual, the dungeon master's guide, uh, a couple of adventures, all all of this other stuff. Like if you price all of those hypothetical PDFs or we'll use like fourth edition PDFs, it's Mm -hmm. well over a hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, but Mo- again, Monty Cook, the idea is that you don't buy it separately. You get the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then even after that, like a year after that, they started selling just the, quote, player's handbook of Invisible Sun. So you don't mm-hmm. have to buy everything. But if you want just the player's handbook, you can. So I think they they relaxed his original vision a little bit because they want to make money. But that's interesting, isn't it? Like he really was like, this is a self-contained black cube of fun and you either buy it or you you have everything you don't and then it it doesn't have an online presence kind of a thing uh i but yeah when we were talking i really wished that they had built some kind of online character creator Mm -hmm. uh aid to play uh because i would love to play this online with people like yourself who are also interested um, but to have the tools, because I felt like I was fighting it a lot, trying to get you guys the Fine correct spell stuff, cards yeah. and taking screenshots of it and sending you a JPEG. And it's like, yeah, I just want to be able to say, here are your cards. If we had them all in a Roll20 app or, or a virtual tabletop of any kind, and I could like mm-hmm. throw you cards, that would be great. But yeah. And I think LB had said something that was really good too. The layout of the information is definitely one of those styles where you have to hunt and peck and go, I got to look at this PDF. And then I got to go look at this PDF right. to find this other it's thing. It's four and- books and you open one and it'll yeah. reference another book. And yeah. I even said, when I was planning the game, I had three of those books open on different pages. And I felt like I was in college, like referencing, going back mm-hmm. and forth. That's very difficult with a PDF. And I want them to make one PDF that's searchable and lets me go and link and stuff. But that's not what Monty wants to do. (laughs) No, no, no. This felt to me like an artistic tabletop role-playing game as it was written, structured, and and portrayed. It was supposed to be tactile. It was meant to be, I really think, played at the table with some a few things that you would do outside of a, a, yeah. a weekly session or a bi-weekly session that you're playing. And I think it's clear and telling that it was made by creators who are used to be playing with each other live, but had just started to understand that our hobby has really moved online and it really moved online in a big way because of COVID obviously, but it was definitely trending that way. Anyways, it was super because trending it did that way. the one yeah. thing 
that getting everybody at the table together doesn't do is more consistency in people showing up and a wider player audience that you could possibly pull from, which then makes it more possible to play more games of different types versus you have to gather enough friends who are willing to come to your house, sit at your table on a regular basis. That's a hurdle. It can be done. Many people have done it, but it's definitely a hurdle for some people. There's yeah. many people who had wanted to play role-playing games, but had never had enough friends to, to be able to convince to do it or family members or workers or whoever. They've never gotten the chance to do it because they were always in the mindset, I have to bring two or three people to my kitchen table to play and I never can do it without ever realizing or going out and finding that there are online tools. They might just drop it and never do it. There, there are people who have never got to play because they thought that's how it worked. So I think we're, we're transitioning out of that. And I feel like this game came at the very end of, we play games at tables all the time. Yeah. We're now in the digital age and he was just I, I do. I think it was that. It. I think creating yeah. it, they were still yeah. in the idea of like we. You play at a table with friends. You roll dice. Yeah. And then right up until the Kickstarter, they were like, "Oh, people love virtual tabletops, and there's enough yeah. like internet bandwidth to make that happen." And then the game released, yeah. and it was people just like COVID, cameras, and it 20, you know, yeah, VTTs so. are out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I was encouraged. I thought it was a positive experience. I thought it was interesting. Um, I feel more confident than I did before. Like when you had mentioned this before, I I was really leery about Invisible Sun. You even you even said, hey, if you want to play, maybe a month ago, I'll, I'll you can play. And I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to jump into this game. This game seems intimidating to me. Yeah, this game seems like it's big, bigger than I'm ready to jump into. But I'm glad I finally kind of last minute said, you know what, I'll jump in. I'm going to try it. I'm just going to go in with an open mind and see what it's like and prove that that fear I was kind of having, that trepidation I was having was mostly unfounded. It was built up in my own mind about if it's gonna be difficult or if I'm gonna like it or do I wanna get involved in it or whatever. And really after we started playing and started getting into it, there's a lot of fun to be there. I could see some really, really good stories happening in the way this world, I love the thing you even talked about. We didn't even get into it, but you're talking about we're in a city that's built up of neighborhoods that are rebuilding after something has happened. Yeah. After and our war. campaign would normally take, if you just took, you know, at the book at, at face value and ran it the way they, they start you out is that the idea is you're going to help rebuild some portion of this, this catastrophe, uh, catastrophe that's happened. Right. And, and I love that idea of, Oh, okay, wait a minute. We're going to, we're going to bring a neighborhood together or a, or a, or a borough of New York or a, you know, whatever term you want to use that says we're going to help rebuild the city. And it's this weird thing going on and there's weird stuff, you know, that we're learning about because we didn't know about it before. There's a lot there that sounds interesting to me now. So yeah. I was very encouraged. That's cool. Well, and if you guys are curious, I did record the audio of our session uh, and I'm going to eventually put it up on the Patreon so you guys can listen to it if you're curious there. Um, but uh, yeah, we, I, I guess you played some games, but we're a little over time and I got to go pick up my son. So <laughs> I did play Invisible Sun. I did play Dungeon of the Mad Mage. We did level up. I'll keep it quick. Um, I am now, I finally got to fifth level cleric, which was really nice, which my, my character's based off of Moon Knight. And we've just been talking about watching nice. Moon Knight too. So that's been fun. Um, so yeah, we're down another level. We're still doing a lot of drow stuff. So you'd have loved this because you, you've been dying to do a drow game. And this is two drow houses fighting against each other. And oh, we're kind perfect. of in the middle of it. Yeah. See, exactly. So you would have really loved these levels, I think, um, had you been in these this adventure. So, Or if if you do want to do Dungeon of the Mad Mage and you don't want to do the whole thing, no, I was you just could thinking use steal these it. levels. Yeah, I want to steal those levels probably. Yeah, so that'd yeah be awesome. for sure. So, but that's all I got. I had a lot of fun. I've been playing a lot of uh, Borderlands, uh, the not Borderlands, but um, Tiny Tina's Wonderland, which is so fun and so cool and so irreverent and so Ack Inc. like uh, Dungeons and Dragons like that. It's super fun. If you haven't got it, pick it up or wait for it to get on sale and definitely get it on sale. Don't let it go by without getting it. So sweet. That's it for me. Uh, I'm I'm playing in Lex's playtest some more today, so that'll be fun. 
Very cool. I went from like no games to playing lots of games. It feels like uh, so. In the last couple of weeks, I thought so too. Like yeah. you were committed to some stuff. You were doing. Well, I stuff think my right wife here. became. She got done with a lot of her shows, and so she became more available to like watch Oliver. And then I was like, oh, I I'm gonna go play D and D. My of course, then you got a part in a play, so that and then yeah, I auditioned for a play and I got a part, so that's fun too. <laughs> uh, but Nathan's campaign is running. I think they're having their last session in in a few days, maybe Saturday, oh, maybe tonight. Wrapping it up. And then uh, we're going to start a new game. So I'm going to try to jump in on that one. I but really need, we need to get DM Nathan on. I want to talk to him about some of his campaigns. We did. He's been on. He I know, forgot. but I mean, I, his more new stuff that I want to oh, have. Okay. I have new questions for DM. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for hanging out, liking, subscribing, sharing this podcast with your friends. If you are interested in Invisible Sun, I do believe it is sold out. So I apologize as of recording this. Um, you can always get the PDFs over at DriveThruRPG or on Monty Cook's website, which is uh, MontyCookGames.com. Uh, it's pricey, but it is, like I said, very interesting. Uh, you might be like me, where you bought it and then you sat on it for two years and have not played it until now. Uh, but if you're a world builder, it's a really fun read. Uh, mm -hmm. But that is our show. We're going to be back next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D &D Show. Goodbye, everybody.